Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. Who's at the door? Okay, come on. You know this is my day off. What are you doing? Okay, I'll let you in in just a minute. It's fine. Don't worry. Oh, hey, it's you guys. I forgot it's today. Oh, that's right. It, welcome back to Puzzling Company, guys. So it is your host, Zach, like always. But who else is with me? I refuse to be a part of this anymore. <laughs> You're going to stay around for it, buddy. Uh, but that's Jared, of course. Uh, but welcome back, guys, to Puzzling Company again. On this episode, what are we going to be talking about, Jared? The level of cheese in our advertisements and introductions. What are you talking about? I've done only <laughs> very serious things. You're just a consummate professional is how I would describe you. Exactly. No, we are going to be talking about a little bit of a flashback, if you will, today. Oh, <laughs> that was a good one. That was well played. Set you up perfectly for that. Uh, we're going to be talking about Escape Room in a Box, specifically their game Flashback. Ooh, I'm very excited about this I'm game. pumped, too. This, this was a great game, and let's get into it. Jared, 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 Jared. I found this really cool box outside. Can we please, 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 can we open it? Are you out of your mind? Look what it says on the box. It literally reads, root of all evil. There's no way we're opening this box. Oh, come on, Jared. What's the worst that can happen? Have you ever seen a horror movie? Listen, you don't split up your team. The basement is not a good hiding place. You don't give cute little creatures water. And above all, you don't open the mysterious and creepy box with the word evil on it. Please, Jared. No. But if you're listening and you have more guts than me, you should actually head over to crackinutmysteries.com and pick up a copy of Root of All Evil. Um, Jared, I, I think I need to tell you something. All right, I brought out the cheese tray and I got some drinks for everyone. Okay, hey guys, welcome back again. Uh, this is our first segment. In this segment, it is kind of just a back and forth between me and Jared. Now you're going to ask, what are you guys going to talk about? Well, that's a great question, Jimmy. Jimmy, I see you in the corner. Don't worry about it. You're going to get your tray very soon, okay, sweetie? Um, but what we're going to talk about is the things that we loved about this game, as well as what we thought could be critiqued a little bit about it, or kind of like room for improvement is another way to word it, right? Absolutely. All, all in the spirit of... Wanting and creating better games. Never just to tear people down to tear people down. What do you mean? I I, I like tearing down everyone. I know, I, know. I know you're like the King Kong of escape reviews and you just like to trample through games and people's dreams and just utterly destroy egos and everything. That's crazy because I would say I'm more like Godzilla. <laughs> but, you know, we know who's better than that in that matchup. I but anyways, I can't. I'm not going down that road. Okay, with you. fine. That's a different, a totally different podcast. Welcome to Godzilla versus King Kong podcast. This is your, no, just kidding, guys. All right. Would you really take Godzilla? Oh, absolutely. What are you talking about? I feel like King Kong time and time again proves himself. You're going to say because monkey, and that's not the answer to this equation. <laughs> One of, okay, uh, this is, we're going to go on this short and then we're going to get back to our subject of actual <laughs> questions. But one, this can stay in the podcast too, obviously. I don't care. One, Godzilla, if we're talking about the current canon of Godzilla, he has two insane powers. One, he has his breath ability, but also in the last movie he was in, uh, 
he has acquired the nuclear reaction ability where he just shoots it out of his body and explodes everything. He has two powers. Now you're going to ask, but, but, but King Kong monkey. Yes, he is monkey. That, that is true. But uh, uh, he has gained a gigantic size increase from the last movie, which is pretty cool. I'm excited to see that as well as he has a- apparently acquired a weapon. So I'm very excited to see how that axe is going to do. But you know who's really going to win in this whole battle? Friendship. Just like our friendship. Now, we're going to move on from that. So to the things we liked about the game, I'm going to talk about the things that we really enjoyed about it, like Escape in a Box flashback. The first one being the rules, the expl- like the explanation of how the experience is going to go, and the boundaries. Just like the boundaries between King Kong and Godzilla. No, just kidding. Um, they do such an amazing job. I think Zach and I both agree in terms of the mass market games that we have played. Yes. This is probably one of the best that we have played. It very clearly outlines and gives boundaries for the player Mm -hmm. and then operates super well within them, like super well. Um, And that's something that not a lot of games give you is some games give you too much freedom. And then when they give you too much freedom, it leaves – this element of uncertainty or over-exploration, and you don't know which way to go. The signposting doesn't exist, and you're helplessly wondering what your next move is supposed to be Yeah. versus knowing what the puzzle is and then struggling within the confines of that puzzle. Yeah. That does not happen in this game. No. It, it sets you out very early, tells you this is what's going to happen, this is what you need to do. And we talked a little bit th- about this in uh, Jack King's game in uh, VOC Treasure. Yes. It outlined what you needed to do, and that didn't take away from the experience whatsoever. No. It let, it, it let you feel more comfortable about what your final goal is going to be. Yes. And I think that game does that very well. And that's very important, in my opinion, in a mass market game because just just because it is a mass market game. So many of the games that we have reviewed thus far do not have as big of an impact or an imprint as the creators of this game do. And that is not a slight. That's just facts. Um, I know a lot of these, I feel like a lot of the games that we have created do deserve a bigger audience, and I'm hoping that through things like this podcast they get it. But what I'm saying is it is encouraging to see people who do have the spotlight, most of it, doing smart, good things to introduce their game. Yes. 100%. Uh, talk to me a little bit, Zach, because you're I think you're the narrative guru in the, of the two of us. I am the lore guy, yes. Uh, talk about the positioning of the narrative and why we liked that in this game. The narrative of this game is fantastic. It is technically a sequel to their first game, uh, but also I think... I can agree, or maybe Jerry can agree with me on this. I think simple, solid narratives are better than crazy, complex ones. Totally agree. The narrative in this game is very simple, right? You have a doctor. You have her lifelong friend since childhood who is now a werewolf, um, which you learn a little bit more about how that happened in the first game. But you don't need to play the first game to play the second one by any means. But the whole narrative of this game is that you are trying to help save that person and make the vaccine or the antidote, which involves you creating a, a magical artifact. Which was really cool. Which was really cool to do. It, it's just simple. There's no crazy characters. There's nothing complex where I have to question what's going on. It, a child could easily remember the story. And I think the, the cooler part about this, too, is that it is relatable to everyone. And now, you know, it is a mass market game. And I think mass market games have to try to do that because it has to be appealing to everyone. 
you know, if you make a very specific narrative about something that only you would know about, or maybe 10 other people, you know, it's going to be harder for someone to catch on. But if you tell a story about friendship, just like the friendship between King Kong and Godzilla, you know, that will eventually happen. Um, but in this game, the friendship between the doctor and the werewolf and like what their past entails and kind of the fun, you know, it just, I think part of it is childhoods too. Like the, the story goes through their childhood. You kind of get a flashback to the past and see uh, who they were when they were younger, them playing in their fort that they created, you know, hanging outside, talking about yeah, stuff. It's childlike. It, which is nice because it's something that everyone can understand. Back in the day when we all hung out outside and, you know, you create forts with their friends and stuff like that. Nowadays, it's not as much like that, especially with everything going on. Um, but it's just a, it's like a simpler time. Yes. Which is nice to always go back to. Yeah, it wasn't, I think you nailed it. Like, there are some really comp, well-told complex stories. Yes. But for the so. most part, in my opinion, keeping it simple is is to a creator's advantage. Yes. And, and almost, I would almost argue, more difficult, right? Yeah. To create a simple yet engaging storyline that hits a number of people is is why it's a good mass market thing. Yes. Um, I think a reason that we we like this game, and we'll talk about this a little more later, is it's not a difficult game. Yeah. This is this is a game that if you're an experienced player will take you 45 minutes to an hour. To yeah. an hour. It's it's marketed as 90, but it won't take you that long. Yeah. Um, but doesn't matter. It's great. It it, yeah. it is it is the mass market game in my opinion to pick up and play, yeah. Um, and and I think the narrative is a big reason it doesn't stretch or reach or try to do complicated reveals. It it announces what it is very early on. You follow it through these different pathways of the game, the puzzles, the puzzle flow. All of that was on point in this game. Masterfully done, in my opinion. Yeah, the diversity and even the items, like the tangibility of the actual items. Yes, there were locks. Great. Lot, little lock boxes that were colored, that yep. locks on them. That fit the little pathway. Containers. Yes. Yeah, it, it was fantastic on every front. The diversity, I think, is also a big accomplishment because I think the pathways themselves, right, there is a locked box at the end of all of them, right? And that that's obviously similar. But the way that you have to accomplish opening those up and what the answers are are completely different. Yes. And the items inside are different. You know, like some have maybe like a little puzzle that you need to like put together by stacking stuff on top of each other. One might be more of like a cryptex type puzzle, you know. Whatever it is, they're all just very unique. And like I said, the biggest part that I'm going to praise about this is that it's simple but perfection. And satisfying. Yes. Like very simple. Nothing – none of the puzzles were too insane – you know, we probably had maybe one in there that maybe questioned, you know, we had a question for a little bit, but at the end of the day, like it was a solid puzzle. All the simple ones were simple, but fantastic. I mean, we enjoyed every inch of it. Like there was never a moment that I was like, oh, this game's not. Yeah, I and, agree. You know, I, I, I had a blast. Jared will tell you, this is by far, if not uh, in our top, if it's not our top game, it's one of the top ones yes. by, by a long shot. And I, it was a blast to experience to say the least. Yeah, it, it just really had everything. There were aha moments. And I think it is, uh, and I'm, uh, this is high praise, but I'm going to throw it out there. Sure. I think it is just a replication of the Disney or Pixar formula. Ooh, that is a big praise. High quality. And it has stuff that hits on a lot of different levels. So I think this is a game that you could play with your kids yeah, and that they would enjoy it. Will they grasp every last thing? There's no, a chance, no. But yeah. they'll pick up on some things that probably you didn't. A lot of it, adult. they yeah. will. 
So, but what I mean by that Pixar or Disney formula is it is well done. It is high quality. It's made for the masses and it hits on a lot of different levels. Yes. So kids can enjoy it. Adults like us can enjoy it. And then even beyond that, if you're really tuned in the, to the community, there's even some really fun Easter eggs yes. in the game as well that you can kind of pick up on if you kind of know the people around a little bit. And it it, it just works. And in, in the ta- to, to speak to the tangibility, it just is really cool even from a business standpoint to see the mass production of these things work, right? Because when you're doing something to this amount of scale, every last piece of paper, every last physical plastic item, lock, everything is a big swing in your price point, right? Not that it is for the creators that are doing less, but at this, it's even more so. Yeah. So just to see how much that they gave us in a game that you can go buy from Amazon, I don't believe they, I think you can still get this at like Barnes and Nobles, but I haven't seen it at like Target or Walmart. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, So it it was just, it just hit on all cylinders and is just really inviting to everyone, which I think from an industry advancement platform, which is the platform that you and I take, Mm -hmm. is encouraging. Yes. I want to see more really well-made, simple, attainable games out there on the forefront so that when you decide to get deeper into some of the other games that we have really enjoyed and talked about, you're set up to be successful for these other games. Yeah. Because if you jump into some of the other mass market games that are out there first, my argument is there's a really good chance you'll never pick up another game first because there's an element amiss with it that frustrates you. Yeah. That doesn't exist, in my opinion, in this game. Mm-hmm. Everybody's different, but if you asked me to give a game to somebody who had never, ever, ever played a game before, this is their first entry into this genre of gaming, this is an easy selection for me to give them as their first game. Totally and then agree. from there, recommend so many other great games that we have reviewed. Yeah, I agree. So it's encouraging to me. I love that this game is out there. It's as well-reviewed as it is and that we enjoyed it as well. Mm -hmm. All right. So as we jump into our critiques, uh, there's a couple of different ways that we want to frame this part because we we didn't really find a whole lot of flaws and we would really be parsing this game out a lot to really find issues with it. Now, when we get to our next segment, we're going to read reviews about people that found some issues with it. So don't hear us say that this is universally accepted as the best game out there, but we wanted to reframe this part of the conversation in order to talk about creators challenging themselves. Sure. Right? Because I think for the ladies at Wild Optimists who are the creators of this game, Mm -hmm. they've got the formula down. Yes. Uh, They could keep creating games like this in the mass market and make a good living for themselves. Yeah. Um, but that jumps into our first thing that we want to encourage both Wild Optimists and anybody, another creator that's listening out there. Um, what's the first thing, Zach, that we would say? And why would we say this? Yeah, I think the first thing we would say is to challenge your own status quo. So what we mean by that is, like we said, you're already set up for success. And I think you are in a fantastic spot. I think the only thing that could happen and knowing the people wild optimists, I don't think this would happen, sure. but could is that you get comfortable or that like sometimes Disney does this as we gave in a comparison to them earlier is that you get complacent. So yep. you go, okay, uh, this formula works. I'm just going to keep redoing it. But then eventually it gets stale. Like if I know what the game is going to be like every time, there's nothing unique 
compared to like the first few I played, right? Correct. So being able to challenge your own status quo and be like, all right, this is what we do well. How can we make this even better? Or what can we do differently to maybe challenge ourselves to make an even better game? Right. Because it's a. I think what we're saying is a. we want a growth mindset. Yes. And that means challenging yourself. If you do things this way, I feel like you, all creators need a level of freshness when they're going from project to project. Yes. And we would gladly play more games like Flashback. Their previous game, Werewolf Experiment, very yep. similar, just little tweaks here and there. But uh, I want to see them uh, take a shot at something wildly different, which kind of yeah. um, tacks into our second point, which I'm going to talk about, is experimenting with different mediums. Um, we experiment with a lot of different mediums in the things that we play. We don't just play um, at-home puzzle and mystery games. Yeah, It's what we enjoy probably the most, which mm-hmm. is why we decided to start this podcast and really go um, spend a lot of our time trying to raise awareness for this segment of gaming. Yeah. Um, but both in what you play and what you create, trying different mediums, I think, is of great advantage to the growth process. And it's exactly what Zach was saying before. If we are five years from now and we have five more games that are very similar to Flashback, I don't. that may have been a business success, but I don't know that we've seen a lot of growth um, and growth is exciting to me because if the wild optimists are already at this really high level that I'm holding them to, what comes next may be even greater. It's a risk, yeah, but it may be even greater and more exciting and push our field into a brand new place that we don't know what it's like before. Yeah, Because if you look at what the wild optimists work, they have a varied selection of things that they've worked on. And it's really, really cool to see what they've done. Um, but I want to keep saying, keep pushing that boundary. You guys are out there on that front line, and we need you to keep being varied and and, and trying new things. Mm-hmm. What would the last thing that we would say, Zach? Ooh, okay. I think the last thing we would say is to continue, like, leading the community. Like, you know, there are a lot of amazing creators and reviewers and stuff that are all in these different types of groups. Uh, they have been pretty active in a lot of the stuff they do. They are very busy people, yes. the Wild Optimists. So shout out to them to being able to do what they can do with the time they have. Um, but we just, I mean, you guys have been great. I know the bit we've talked to you, it was a blast and a, a great experience. So we're very excited to talk to you guys more. And we're excited to see what you can, you know, what you keep doing for the community. And yeah, I mean, that's how I would put it. Yeah, keep teaching us. Yeah, it's uh, great. All of us, because I... Personally, I think you just have really locked into what makes a game good, and we all need to hear more of that, both as players, reviewers, creators. Yeah. Um, we, I think nobody would say, man, I want more mediocre games. I want more great games. Uh, I want the general public to experience more great games, and I think that the Wild Optimists have a good understanding of what makes a good game good and a great game great. And so I just encourage them to, we always see them at conferences, giving out advice, handing out what they understand and what they don't understand. And I just want to keep seeing more and more of that. So I would encourage them to keep putting out not only creations, but just their opinions as game creators to game creators. Yeah. Well, that is going to wrap up our section number one. If you didn't know already, we're really big fans of this game. Big fans. Excited to see what else they come out with. Mm -hmm. And we're going to head on now to Puzzles to the People. We'll be right back. 
Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for Puzzles to the People. Dude, I played the best game last night. Um, Jared, I thought we played all our games together. Well, well, traditionally we do, but this game was designed to be played by yourself. It's called Box One, and it's a new game from Neil Patrick Harris and Theory 11. Jared, I'm hurt. What am I supposed to just believe that there's clearly this made-up story of a game that's meant for only one person? And you couldn't even come up with something more clever than just Box One. Okay, you know what? I'm done. Call me when there's a box, too. Well, if you're not salty and you're looking for a truly awesome single-player experience, head to your local Target to pick up Box One. If you don't have or know what Target is, beg Angela Lawson Scott to ship you a copy internationally. All right, everybody. Welcome back. We are now into Puzzles to the People, the section of the show where we give other people's reviews the main stage, and Zach and I get to kind of talk about whether we agree or disagree Ooh. with what they said. Now, you know I like to mix it up on you, Zach. Oh, no. Because Zach, Zach does not pre-read these. I'm the only one that pre-reads these. Yeah, I don't know what these are. And so he is going in blind to what people say in these things. Oh, God, I'm scared. It's fun to uh, see the wheels turning as you wrestle with these sometimes controversial statements. Yeah. So I've thrown you a curveball today. Oh, no. Instead of asking our regular people who listen to the show and in the small Facebook groups that we're on. Who'd you ask? I went to Amazon. Oh, no. Ugly reviews from Amazon. Oh, no. Because clearly from the first section, you and I are very high on this game. Yes. And I felt like we need a varied opinion. Oh, we definitely do. Um, yeah. and, and, and I think that's important. So we're going to dive into the top five, what Amazon said were the top five reviews from this game okay not all of them good just a heads up sure so let's dive into our first one this is from mh bus mh bus says first if you buy all the escape room games skip this one for yourself i believe that you are supposed to have 90 minutes per leg of the adventure my wife and i beat all three legs in 63 minutes total it was fun but not very challenging Ooh, okay. agree or disagree with MH Bus? Ooh, MH Bus is a very famous, you know, reviewer. <laughs> um, I'm going to disagree with a lot of this. Um, so let's let's start the first part. So, if you buy all escape room games, skip this one for yourself. I hard disagree with this. I think anyone should play this game. Now, uh, they covered it as well, and I think we covered it a bit. It's not the most challenging game out there. So if you are a person that really only enjoys these for the pure challenge. It's not going to challenge you the, the most insane compared to other games. Absolutely. Right? This is not a very difficult game. Yeah, but it, it is fun. I think one of the interesting parts, which I think we brought up a little bit earlier on in the show, but it's going to be brought up, it looks like, by this comment, is that there are different pathways to this game. Yeah, talk, so like, talk a little bit about how this game is set up. So the game is set up that you are trying. So this, like I said, the story of this was that you are trying to make the, you're trying to fix the werewolf, try to make them come back to being human. So you're trying to find the item or the artifact that is going to de-wolfenize them. So to build it, there are, you need three items, which you have to acquire by doing the different pathways. I think from what this person's saying is that they thought that it's advertised on the box that you would do each, each pathway was like its own game. And that's what would be done. Uh, but to tell you how the game actually goes. And like I said, this might just be a miscommunication either like 
on one of their advertisements or if it's on the box or just people just not under, or understanding what it means. Um, the all three pathways are required to beat the game. You need to do all three to get all three of the items to create the artifact, um, which means this is a one, it's a one, like it's one game experience. Yes. Um, so I think people just got confused or misinterpreted the three pathways and thought, okay, I have three different ways to play this game. And they're all 90 minutes. When yes. realistically, the whole game is 90 minutes at most. It is not three games in one. It is one, one game, game with three, three pathways. Path. Correct. Yes. So um, I, that's probably the reason because when they say that they beat all three legs in 63 minutes, that sounds about right for this game. I think if you've played a few of these, you're going to beat it like within an hour, probably uh, around an hour. So um, I think right there, like I said, the only thing I really hardly, I big disagreed with them was saying to skip this. I think this is a game that anyone should play like full, like solidly in my heart say that. Um, and the rest, you know, it's fun, but not very challenging. I can agree with them on that. Yeah, I'm a hundred percent aligned up with you. The first part, if you buy a lot of escape room games, don't buy this one. You're doing yourself a disservice Yeah, um, because there is a lot to learn from how simple this game is, but how fantastic it is. Yes, it, it is. It is a there is an equation here that is being used and wielded very mightily and players, reviewers, creators need to experience it for themselves Yeah, and dig into it. Uh, agree also, though, it's not very challenging. Uh, it, exactly what Zach said. Um, if you are a puzzle hunt master, this game is not your cup of tea. It's just it's just mm-hmm. not. If, if you're steadily looking for games that are going to challenge you in level of difficulty, this is not your game. If you can find enjoyment and elegance in simplicity and just fun, if you if if you like these games for just fun, like I like these games for just fun, mm. this is a good game for you. Yes. This is a really good game for you. All right, I'm going to throw review number two at you now. Oh, no. This is from reviewer Seb. It is advertised as three-in-one games. It isn't really. All three games go together. You can play them in any order, but one it is, but it is one complete game. I was expecting three one-hour games, not three 20-minute games. That being said, I still really enjoyed the hours spent. All the puzzles were logical and solvable. Okay. Well, as is essentially the same thing we just discussed earlier, it sounds like, mostly. Um, so, yeah, it just seems like it was a miscommunication either from the customer point of view or from maybe their advertising of the game. Um, but it, it it is essentially just a, it's a one game. It's one complete game that has three different pathways that you have to do to complete it. So, unfortunately, it sounds like they just ran the same issues the first people did to an extent. Uh, but they they say the same thing as I think was we've kind of talked about. It's very enjoyable. Very the puzzles are really solid. They're logical and solvable. It overall good experience. Just a miscommunic- miscommunication yes. on some part. And I think that even though these are kind of critiquey, yeah. like how great is it to hear though that at, like if I was the creator, I'd be hearing, oh, you can't read, but I still made a good game, right? Yeah. Like for both of these, like how good is it to hear that like. I didn't get what I was expecting to get, but the game itself was actually really great. Yeah. I feel like that's what both of these people are saying in a nutshell. Yeah. So I, I would be encouraged by that. But yeah, if you if you look at the front box, it says three pathways. And I'm I guess that's just open for interpretation. It's very It is. And it, I think that I think part of it is I think it could be also on the creator to an extent that finding a way maybe to word that even better. It's hard because you I mean, people have to be able to understand 
and, and sometimes sure. you're, and the customer's sure. just not going to get it. Right. But there's enough people, it sounds like, that got misinterpreted by it that it could find they could find a way to maybe fix it on their end to, like, guarantee no one does. But you can't – I mean, but you can't control people, what they understand and what they don't. Right? Yes. So um, if that – like I said, but if that's the most you have to deal with is mis- misinterpretation between a customer and you, and it probably is worded pretty well, but they just didn't get it, then – you could try to fix it, but that's it. Sure, everything else is great. Well, I'm going to bring I'm going to bring up an interesting point here that because I want to further the conversation okay. on this point is what we have discovered and what we see is that usually newer players, whether we're talking about a at home escape room style game or a video game or an escape room, usually first time players appreciate a linear progression. Yeah. If you're out there and you don't know what I mean by linear progression, it's that I solve A, I get B, I solve B, I get C, so forth and so on. There's not a whole lot of straying from this very linear pathway. This game is three linear pathways. And and that's a little bit of a risk, right? Because that doesn't – that kind of bucks what we've usually seen and what new players really like. But – even that is so well done because everything is color coordinated. It makes it like we said with our very first positive thing of the game. It tells you what's going on at the beginning here. Yeah. And um, and as we'll talk about in a second, I think even that multi-linear pathway nature to the game is helpful on a different level. Um, but here's here's the next question for you. This is from Ice Lion. Shout out to Ice Lion if you're listening to this. If you are new to escape rooms or playing with younger children. 10 plus. This will be great for you. Ooh, I think I agree with this. Um, we kind of discussed it earlier. I think if you're new, this is definitely a game I'd recommend to you to get you started. So I agree on that front that if you're new to the, like escape room experiences or, you know, playing with people like children that are younger, this will be great for you. I mean, it is. I think this game, we discussed it earlier as well, bringing back another point, is that I think the, that if you have kids playing this game, they will mostly catch on to everything. It's a good game that you can all play together, like two to six people average usually, I think is what the box says. Yes. Um, But be able to play that and all get like a big experience from it and just have a blast. It's I think it's perfect for new to uh, new players or for children. Yeah, I totally agree. I think they nailed it. I think a good starting game is a game that younger players can pick up on. It might be a little more challenging for them, but um, it shows that you're able to challenge the younger player while still engage the older player yes i think that's just a model for success for a game that's new player friendly and i don't think there's enough games out there in our genre that aim to do this agreed um so we totally agree with it all right this is from shopper 20,000 no sorry can't read numbers shopper 2013 oh no shopper 2013 says wow this was great fun We have done others in a box and real escape rooms, so we have a very good understanding of how they work. We were super impressed at the value for the money, being able to actually open real locks and have interactions with the pieces. No spoilers here. This was great fun. Wow. I agree. I think I agree on every front of this. It's great fun. Like they said, um, them being able to have played a lot of other experiences, having a good understanding of how they work. Like you said, I think it it also just shows that even if you played a bunch of these, like it it flawlessly does what it wants to, right? It, it's not crazy difficult. It's simple, but it appeals to everyone. It's even where people who've played a lot 
are impressed by it, right? Yes. Uh, super impressed at the value for the money. I mean, the price point for this game was what, like nineteen ninety nine? Yeah, I think I think we got it on sale. Okay. On Amazon, so I think at the low end, around seventeen ish dollars. True. If you if you wait for that big like December sale, mm-hmm. I think you can get it pretty inexpensive. But I think a median price where people that were leaving these reviews were talking it was somewhere around twenty five to thirty dollars. Okay, so like twenty, oh, we'll say twenty five to thirty dollar range. I mean, still the the value like the price that you pay for the the amount of experience you get and how well done it was. I agree. I think it it's very much worth it. Um. So kudos to them on that, being able to make that work, being able to actually open up real locks and have interactions with the pieces. Like we've said, the tangibility of this game, phenomenal. The lock boxes were solid. You know, they're not flimsy. You know, the locks were really well done, uh, unique in their ways. It, I mean, overall, the whole game was, was like they said, was great fun. It was a blast. Totally agree. I'm on board. I don't, I don't even need to go in more in depth than Ooh, that because okay. it was just solid. All right, I don't know if you're ready for this next one. What do you got? This is question number five to wrap up our segment. Okay. This is from Jay Croft. Ooh, is this like a, like Laura Croft's long lost like cousin? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't put that together like the Croft. I didn't know you were going to go like a Laura Croft mm-hmm. route with it there. Um, I don't know. This could be like Laura's. But I don't know. If you watch the new Tomb Raider, there's no, like, mention of siblings. Well, that's what I mean. There's no immediate families. That's why I say, like, cousin. Or, like, or it could be, like, a, ooh. Um, I could see, like, Tomb Raider 2, like, Laura meets her nerdy Amazon reviewer brother and then, like, takes him saying, on It's the a long lost brother that they never knew about. Yes. Yep. Uh, Jeremy Croft. That's Jer- Jeremy I mean. Croft. Mild manner insurance agent and Amazon top reviewer. Yes. What do they have to say? What do they have to say? Well, I don't know if you're ready for this. Okay. They said, we played with up to eight people. Okay. That's a lot. But some left the game early to work on other birthday things. Oh, <laughs> okay. Um, uh, that's, okay. I don't know how to answer this. Um, <laughs> agree or disagree, Zach? <laughs> I, what do I agree or disagree on? Um, okay. I'll just, um, okay. They left early to work on other birthday things. Okay. So they're playing as the birthday party. Now, this is the fun part. Do I have to figure out what this birthday party entails, right? So let's I'm going to imagine because it sounds like they left, which means they're probably not adults because I feel like adults will at least when they paid the money for it, they're probably going to finish it. Sure, they're going to play really, the game. Sure. That that's my guess. So, you know, let's I'm going to imagine this is a 12-year-old's birthday party, right? Um the mom just got like brought over the cake. Um they blew it out. They kind of made pieces and they go, "Hey, we should play a game." Um but let's say there's 10 of them, right? So they're playing um, they start playing the game with eight. They're having fun, enjoying it. Um, but they realize that their friend Johnny's in the corner, uh, and they have the Xbox on, and they're playing Fortnite, right? So uh, Johnny's doing really well. He's getting carried by, like, someone who's basically ninja. And they're chug-jugging along, and they're getting all of the kills, the winner-winner chicken dinners. And they're they're in the final round, and they're getting really excited, right? Because they're going to win it. So the, the other kids leave their table in excitement and go to join in their Fortnite dancing to see who's going to win the battle. Um, that's my guess of what happened, right? Because I think the game is fun to the point that I don't think anyone would leave out of that part. Now, the other part of this, right? Let's let's imagine it's a different type of birthday party. It's my 25th birthday party. Which um, I imagine would look very similar. <laughs> me and my friends uh, playing, playing Fortnite. Playing Fortnite. I, I don't play Fortnite, so we'll, we'll make that clear. <laughs> I just know lots of memes about them. Um, but let's say it's my birthday party 
It's me and all my friends. Uh, we're hanging out by the table. Uh, we're playing at-home puzzles and mysteries because it's what I probably would do at my birthday. Um, we're hanging out, having some drinks, whatever. Uh, but Johnny in the corner still – no, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're hanging out. But, like, let's say um, something happens and then we all want to leave to go, like, somewhere else or, or whatever's happening. I can understand maybe leaving the game a little early if people weren't having fun. But I don't imagine that. Or no one's at my birthday party, realistically, because it's a pandemic and everything else going on. So it's just me by myself playing this game. I got really sobering and sad there. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but that's not what's going to happen. I know, I know everyone's going to my birthday party. Neil Patrick Harris will be there. Um, but I mean, I just don't get how you would leave this game. Um, what, what else was I supposed to say about this, Jared? I don't, I I love that you latched on to not what I was trying to drive home with this question. What what about, which was the first part, which is we played with up to eight people. I was, I was trying to get us to talk about uh, the number of players, but I love how you were instantly agitated with the reasons and rationales of the people who left to go potentially I read it as like the parents needed to go set up the birth, like serve their family by setting up the birthday party. Oh, absolutely not. They spent, they spent $25 on this game. They're playing it. Uh, The the poor mom herself probably stayed after and tried to finish it. Um, No, I'm just, I'm messing around. I want to drive home. Like, would you recommend anybody new players, advanced players playing this with eight people? No, absolutely not. Uh, we played it as two. Um, if it's a, t- I think it's advertised as two to six. I'm, I could be wrong. Um, now the game you're supposed to play pretty linear, right? There are the three pathways, but you play linear through them. Uh, you could maybe play with way more people, like play with eight if everyone split up and did different pathways. Yes. But that that very quickly reduces the amount of time to beat the game. Yes, because you, basically all three do them and then you're done in 20 minutes. Yeah, you'd be done very quickly and then I would maybe agree more with like our first review and like we beat this game in 20 minutes. That was not worth it. Yeah, so that's what I could understand but it's not. I, I yeah, I, it feel like a lot of people so I could get where people left maybe because they felt like they weren't doing anything if if that's the scenario of what happened. I mean, it, I really think it's the, the Fortnite uh, game in the corner that they're all attracted to. <laughs> um, but or maybe they got some, uh, like the, what's that stuff called? Like that slime. Maybe they got slime and they're having a slime party. In the like corner. silly putty? Yeah, like, well, kids make like slime nowadays. What what decade are you living in where you think that kids are getting slime at parties? That's like that, throwback they, 90s. No, you think I'm joking, but kids actually like make slime now and like play with it. And they add like weird stuff to it, give it different textures. It's weird. I'm, Jared, I know I'm 24 and I'm about to be 25. But I feel like a 75-year-old when I'm hanging out with my my littlest sister, all right? I feel like I'm sitting in my my front porch I'm in my nice rocking chair waiting for the day that, you know, I go I go home uh, to the Lord, you know, or wherever I, I go, you know, yeehaw. Um, but that that person, you know, th- their poor soul is, is Fortnite dancing and playing with slime, okay? That's all I know. I could be out of date. Maybe they've moved on from slime now, but that was definitely a year or two ago that I remember slime. I felt like that was what like my er- parties in the early nineties were like, or slime. Like but I feel like they're more technologically savvy these days. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Here's the thing. Uh, just like everything we go through repeats. We always go back to the past. We um, always bring this, back old things. The cyclical nature of humanity. Yes. Okay. Please be sure to check out our philosophical talks on life on our other podcast. Or you can join me on my roast birthday parties uh, yes, podcast where I just savagely look at all the different types of birthday parties and tell you if they're cool or not. <laughs> and Zach roasts 10-year-old birthday parties. Yes, Lots please. of ideas here. 
but that's that's our last thoughts for this uh, section of the show. Please hang around with us. You do not want to miss questions for creators with the ladies from the Wild Optimists. There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is Questions for Creators. Zach, listen, man, we, we need to have a talk. Okay. What about? Well, I got your postcard in the mail, and I'm worried, man. Nothing made sense on it, and there was even things in there that implicated you in some kind of larger conspiracy organization. Yeah, I really don't see what the problem with that is. <laughs> Wait, no, this this isn't how our ads work. You usually, this is the part where you say, oh, it's a game and crazy, Jared, and we do that whole little shtick. But you're not saying that this time, so is this true? Well, if you're curious to find out what is true, you should head over to theenigmaemporium.com and check out the Wish You Were Here series. Oh, so it is a game, right? Zach? Zach? Come on, man, what's true? Whoa, rock on! That was a sick ad. Am I right, Jared? I'm just never ready for you doing the cold opens into segments because I, you get this glimmer in your eye and I don't know which way it's going to go. And then, and then after it, I'm, I'm left wondering, like, are you being sarcastic or do you really just love our ads that much and you're maybe a little narcissistic on your parts in them? Maybe. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I, it's, it's a mystery I look forward to solving in future episodes. You'll have to figure it out. Uh, but what are, what are we doing in this segment? So this is the questions for creators. In this part, we actually discuss and kind of ask questions to the people who create the games. So, Jared, we've talked a little bit about Wild Optimists, um, but who specifically is in Wild Optimists? Well, I'll let them introduce themselves here in oh, a second. Okay, but okay. just know that both of these ladies are incredibly talented. Yes, very much Have so. the resume to back it up, mm. and we look forward – really looked forward to hearing from them because I just think there's a wealth of knowledge to soak up from them. Yes. They do consulting. Mm -hmm. They've worked with major uh, productions. Like networks. Stuff networks, like that, yeah. stuff like that. They are worth listening to when yes. they speak. So we're super excited to have them on the show. Absolutely. Well, let's jump right into it. I'm going to go ahead and ask you ladies the first question, which is, as always, tell us your names and what you were doing before Escape Room in a Box. So, hi, I'm Juliana Moreno Patel, and before I was heavily involved in the puzzling world, I was always a gamer, like played crazy amounts of board games and computer games and video games and all of those things. Uh, but in terms of professionally, I was an actor and a writer, so I was out here in Los Angeles for quite a few years. I was uh, primarily writing for film, um, and yeah, I have a degree in theater, so that is my background. And this is how Juliana and I end up getting mixed up so much, because um, I'm Arielle Rubin, and before I was heavily involved in puzzles and games, I was a writer. Uh, and a uh, and an exec. I was I wrote more for television. There's our one difference. We're and different. I, we're totally different. Um, oh, I also grew up playing a million games. Uh, my childhood favorite was also Clue, and yeah. Oh, and I also majored in theater. 
Although my mother made me double major in English because she said I would never use the theater degree for anything. Because English degrees go so much further than not like a biology. With an English degree, I could go to law school, or you know that it was sort of a basis for a graduate school, whereas the theater degree would get me nowhere. And she was wrong. (laughs) The theater degree has been much more useful. The origin story is that we had a mutual friend, Jason, who said that we were the two most competitive game players that he knew. And uh, so he, of course, instead of just introducing us in a regular way, when we were both pregnant, he brought Ariel to a werewolf night at my house, I think expecting just a giant battle royale. Um, But instead, we became friends. And uh, I'll let Ariel take it from there. (laughs) Well, Juliana had started going to a lot of escape rooms at the time. And I was like, oh, that sounds cool. She was totally the director and she would invite people and did not invite me. Um, but once or twice, one of her like normal people dropped out and I got to go. And as discussed, she's very competitive. So, so, so I got invited more and more because I was pretty good at this stuff. Uh, and then and then we started thinking about it and we were thinking like this is there's escape rooms and there's game people and these people have to be the same people. And so we started looking for an escape room in a box experience that we could do at one of Juliana's game nights and we could not find one. I'm going to send it back to you. And so (laughs) we decided that it was just too good of an idea uh, to, to let it lie. So we decided to make one And we uh, really, it just came from a place of loving escape rooms and saying like, what are all of our favorite things? Like we love surprises and we love jump scares and we love, you know, the moment a lock clicks open and you're like, yes, I've done it. Like it's so satisfying. Um, So it really just started from there. And then we play tested like crazy, crazy people. That's probably still like, the hill that we die on in game design where we're like play testing is everything. Um, and we, uh, the plan was we put it on Kickstarter with the plan to get everything on Alibaba in 500 minimum order quantities. Um, and just give our friends pizza and beer and like assembly line it in the garage. Uh, but it was clearly an idea whose time had come because the Kickstarter just absolutely exploded, you know, beyond our wildest dreams. And we ended up, you know, full on manufacturing in China and we made the first 3000 of the game. And, uh, while we were involved in that whole process, we got introduced to a number of game companies, including Mattel, uh, and I'll let Ariel take it from there. (laughs) Uh, so Mattel licensed the game. It was actually, it was one of those wonderful things where we went into, where they played it and they like, basically bought it in the room. Um, and they also bought the name Escape Room in a Box, which was our company name at the time. So that is how we became the Wild Optimist because we were like, oh wait, we now we need a company name. Like We have been Escape Room in a Box. And we also, we love Escape Rooms and we loved the product we made, but we talked about, what it was that we loved about the process. And what we truly loved was creating something new. And so we decided that we wanted the mission statement for our company to be new ways to play. This is creating um, and putting games and puzzles into really anything, hopefully where it hasn't been or doing a new take 
finding new and innovative ways to get people playing games. Uh, so we just, so we didn't want to get a name that just focused on escape room. So we we thought about it and we came up with Wild Optimist because really from the beginning uh, and still now the entire company is an act of wild optimism. It is just let's do something crazy and see if it hits. And we have been very lucky. And I, you know, I think our ideas are very good also um, because stuff keeps hitting. Talk to us about your creation process. So we always start with the narrative. You know, both of us do have that writing background. I'm going to interrupt and I'm going to say, actually, we always start with the client's needs because we're at, you know, we tend to get hired, right? Um, Escape Room in the Box was an original idea, but since then, most of our jobs and most of our products have started with somebody hiring us. Or, Which is, I mean, yeah, we created it and the manufacturing process took all of our time and energy and it was just such a beast to manufacture that we have often since then been like, okay, we're always going to partner with publishers or other companies who will a lot of times come to us with a need that they have and we start there. Yeah, which isn't to say, I mean, we actually are taking out um, a, like three games right now that uh, were our ideas to begin with. Uh, but in general, we start with what does the client need, you know, and, and what are, what's the box that we're working in? And even, even with our original ideas, it's what's the box that we're working in, right? With escape room in a box, it was how do we put an escape room into a box on someone's dining room table? Um, with, we did a, we worked with the CW's Nancy Drew recently. They wanted to send an activity book. How do we do something that is organic to Nancy Drew in a book that's going to get, you know, that's just paper that's going to get sent to influencers. So we start with, you know, it's like how, who's the audience, how many is in the audience, what's the budget, what are they trying to accomplish? So there are logistical things that form a box really for any project. And that's where we start. But then the very next question is, what's the narrative? Right. So once we know what that box is, we always want to come up with some reason of like, why, if it's, you know, in a, in a book, like, what is that book? Like, we don't want to just have it be, you know, some random activity book, like we did something for the invisible man. And it was like, no, this is from Celia, the main character, she's stuck inside this insane asylum, and she has to communicate to you on the outside. But obviously, if she's sending a letter being like, there's an invisible man, find the invisible man, like the asylum would not let that craziness get out. So she has to hide it within puzzles. And like, she's like, look, I just made some fun games for you. But there's like a real hidden message. So we always want to say, okay, knowing that this is the limitation, what is a story that makes sense with that limitation? How does it feel really organic? You know, because it's all about immersion, right? I, I think I've been, and many people have been talking for years about how immersive theater and the escape room world are going to come together. And I actually think the Everything Immersive website is doing that now. I, I haven't looked at the latest one, but I, I feel like, you know, this, this community has become closer knit. Um, and it makes so much sense because the having a narrative and having it be organic is how you get people immersed in your product, which is really what all of us are trying to do. So then once we have that, we have to say, okay, cool. We have a cool narrative and it's immersive. Um, but also we need to put some like puzzles in here. So we start thinking about what puzzles make sense and that it, and those are puzzles that make sense for a narrative 
narratively and also based on the logistics. So the two things really have to come together because there's only like so much you can do on just paper or, you know, if this has to be something that's translated, the puzzles have to be in a certain way. So it's sort of, we have, you know, just lists and lists of different puzzle ideas and just all kinds of things. It's like, okay, so what subset of those puzzles are we looking at um, to create this? And it's not always puzzles. Sometimes it's games, you know, there can be things where it's competitive and people are rolling a dice or whatever it is, but what form of gameplay makes the most sense here, given our materials and given what we are trying to accomplish and what um, the players, we want the players to experience. And actually all of that is so much fun and we have these big ideas and then like pretty quickly we get to play testing. Yeah, so we'll, just to go into a little more detail on that, we'll often start with like a large list of like, here's all the different puzzles that we think would make sense in this world and with these limitations. And then we'll go through and be like, which ones are do we think are the coolest and the most exciting? And then also try to look and be like, well, we're kind of heavy on, you know, kind of more visual puzzles. So let's try to find something that's a more mechanical puzzle and try to balance it to make sure that there's different types of puzzles for all the different players. Um, so then- Oh, and then just really physically. Like yeah. if people are wondering, Juliana will come with one stack of index cards and I'll come with a second stack of index cards with all of the ideas that we each thought would be good. And then we'll sit down at a table and be like, okay, so which, which ones do we like? And we're, we're like, okay, here's first choice, here's second choice. Oh, in first choice, we've put like, five different, you know, word puzzles. Um, let's, let's switch that out for something else. And also so too, even just sometimes great. logistically, it'll be like, okay, well, we know that we have this object. So like what are three or four different things that we could do? Cause when you're making an at-home product, like most physical escape room, brick and mortar escape rooms are one and done. But when you're making a game in a box and you're paying for a plastic thing that will be in the box, you want to be able to use that in multiple different ways to justify that cost. Um, so once we've done that whole process and we'll then, you know, with those index cards kind of talk it through and especially with the longer games of like, what are the gates? Um, often we don't want to give players all of the information up front. So figuring out like what makes sense to be where we we teach a puzzle design course and we've talked about a bell curve of difficulty where you want your hardest puzzles kind of right at the midpoint or just after and then some quick easy fast wins both at the beginning and at the end so these are all considerations that we're looking at when we're designing um and then we mock up a prototype um Ariel, thank goodness, has a lot of visual design skills where she can make things that actually look pretty decent. Um, so we'll just do that. And then we just play test, play test, play test as, you know, as much as we can. And after each play test, as we're watching, we're taking notes on things that we have things that definitely need to change. Like this was just, this was a train wreck and it needs to change. And then there's a lot of things where it's like, let's watch this. Like this group went down this rabbit hole, but I haven't seen too many other groups do that because with puzzle games, everyone solves them differently and everyone works differently and everyone thinks differently. So, you know, a lot of stuff is just aggregating the information and saying, okay, you know what? I've seen too many groups go down this rabbit hole that we don't want them to go down. Like we need to do something to fix it. Um, and or so it'll be, even if it's not the same rabbit hole, it'll be 
every group is going down some rabbit hole on this puzzle and not doing it the way we intended. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's not always if they're doing it the same wrong way, but if everyone's getting caught up sort of in the same place, that's something that needs to change in some way. Yeah. And especially our games are, for the most part, designed for mass market audiences, you know, or for a lot of the promotional work that we do. It's going out to press and influencers who, like, they may have never done an escape room. And so we're really looking to clear up frustration points and just have it be a fun experience where you might've gone in and been like, ah, I don't know if I'm smart enough to do this thing, but actually you'll come out not feeling like it was handed to you, but feeling like you've earned it and you solved it and feeling, feeling smart about yourself. Our favorite moments are actually when the person who at the beginning was like, I'm no good at puzzles. I'm definitely going to lose this. I don't even know. Like guys, I'm not really going to participate. It's like, no, no, wait, I think I know how to do that. And to everyone out there, if you ever have that thought of like, I'm not so good at this, and then you're wa- and then you're playing and you're like, wait, I think I know how, but I'm not going to speak up. That other person's being really loud and they say they know how. That other person is loud and wrong, generally, and you are probably right and speak up. We've seen this so many times in playtesting where someone will just quietly be like, but well, maybe this, like, you know, with exactly the right train of thought. And then another loud, wrong person is like, but I think it should be this. And it's like, just have confidence in your, in your ideas. Um, So to continue the process after we've playtested to a point where it's generally fun for most groups, uh, we will pass it over generally to whatever client we're working with. And that's when the art comes in and they will have their artists and graphic designers make it look beautiful. Um, And then we test again with all of that beautiful art to make sure that there's not crazy red herrings. And, you know, artists put flourishes in and beautiful things, but that can absolutely send people in the wrong direction. So we always do final art testing before we say like, okay, this is, this is good to go to print. And I'd also say um, we were very lucky um, that a young man who listened to one of our puzzle design courses came up to us afterwards. And um, so this is something else, P- like have confidence in your abilities. Cause he came up to us and he said, you know, you guys talk about this with artists. I'm an artist and I love puzzles and I understand puzzles. And I think we've brought him in on like almost every project since to do at least one piece of art for us because it is great if you find an artist who gets puzzles like use them we should shout him out so that other puzzle designers are yeah yeah so mj blackwood and i think the site is just mjblackwood.com um but really fantastic artist. And we've come to him with so many different things where we're like, we want a puzzle that does this or that. And his work is just so, so great. We're, we're really huge fans. What advice would you give to creators trying to break into the mass market space? Well, I think there's a few things. I mean, first of all, I think that there's such value in the people who are working in the niche market and who want to stay in it because those games, you know, are frankly games we can't make. I mean, the, you know, the elevator, um, uh, the Hinks elevator or, you know, the Rita Orloff games, like um, those are, they, they are at a price point that you can make work um, at like, you know, at a niche game level that you're never going to get through Mattel. So thank goodness people are making those games because I love playing them and they are just such joys and the 
art and just everything about them is, is so wonderful. Um, but in terms of advice, I mean, I think the very first thing is you have to get in a mass market mindset. Um, you will not have full control of your game if you are, uh, if, if you want to make it bigger. Um, because in order to really make it bigger, you're going to have to work with a publisher. They're the ones who have the contacts. They're the ones who can manufacture it so you can keep designing other things. But they're going to have opinions. They ought to have opinions. It's going to be their product. So, you know, one thing we talk about, you know, going back to the art is sometimes we don't like a piece of art. Um, and generally, we don't say it if we don't like it. We only comment on art um, either if it just like truly offends us um, or which is very rarely, um, or if it somehow affects the puzzle, you know, sometimes a piece of art will come in and they do something beautiful, but it's something beautiful that is very similar to something I tried earlier and everyone was getting hung up on it as red herring, or, you know, that we're like, look, you just can't have something that looks like script that looks like words, but is illegible, you know, no matter how pretty it looks. Um, so those generally on art, we only do those notes and we just, you know, if it's not, our thing is designing the game. And if it's not that, that's their job. And you just have to let go of it being just your product and just your baby. It's a, becomes a group effort. And I would say as well, in terms of thinking about the mass market, um, you know, materials is a, a huge difference when you when you kind of cross to mass market. And it, it also depends on who in the mass market. So like with Escape Room in a Box, we had a lot of things where we had stuck stickers on things because in our original garage assembly line vision of this game, sticking a sticker on a tin was a fairly simple thing to do. And we get to Mattel and it's like, oh no, that's expensive to how you have to have someone actually stick a sticker on, but to have a uh, machine make a plastic, super cool 3D part is simple and easy. So I would say, you know, be looking at that sort of thing and then in terms of, you know, like cool different things that you can do with paper and all of that. So I think there's an awareness of materials. And then I think there's an awareness of what already exists in the mass market space and how can you really set yourself apart? Because it never works to go and pitch something and be like, it's just like this other game that you already have because you already have that other game. So you need to figure out what it is that really sets it apart. And then also if there's any way you can kind of put together materials to say like, here's what we're doing that's different. And here's why we think there's a big audience for it. Like even when we were first going in to meet with all these toy companies, we put to together a deck with the statistics that were available at the time of like, here's all of the, you know, here's the percentage of escape room players. Here's the rate of growth in the escape room industry. Like this is clearly just at the beginning and growing. And so being able to approach them and say like, I've thought about this, not just as a game designer who's excited about making a cool game, but also as a sort of business mentality as to why this is a wise investment for your company and why you should put money into getting this out into the world. And then I'd say, you know, most of these, um, first of all, you should check out, we did a panel for, was it the one? No, oh for Comic-Con San Diego. Yeah. Um, with some very good um, other game designers on how to pitch your game to a publisher. So 
uh, you can find, I think you could probably just Google it, but also on our website, uh, Wild Optimists, uh, there's under speakers, we have a link to it. Uh, and I think some of the other game designers on that have done more pitching than us and have some very good advice. But one of the big things they say is most publishers really do have just a site on their portal that says, you know, submit here. Um, if you are doing that, as Juliana said, you know, like know their other games, have a good reason why you are sending it to them, talk specifically to that publisher and say, I am sending it to you because I love these games of yours. And I think this would be good for your lineup because of this. Uh, and, you know, and yeah, and just have like a good product to give them. I think that there's, there's really room for more mass market games. There are publishers who are seeing the success of our game, of the exit games, um, who want to get into this world. So I think that there's, you know, there's probably plenty of room to, to pitch. There's so many game publishers right now. What can we expect from the future of Wild Optimists in the at-home space? So I'll talk about what we what we have out and coming out in the in the somewhat near future. Um, so currently, um, I should say currently, what you can get from us is Escape Room in the Box World Experiment, Escape Room in the Box Flashback, um, and Hello Neighbor: The Secret Neighbor Party Game. Those are all on Amazon um, and many other places. Uh, coming out soon is uh, from Roguelike Tavern. This is unfortunately just in LA at the moment, uh, but it's called A Bar's Tale. And it's like a uh, RPG puzzling uh, sort of experience, like a choose your own adventure experience. It comes with cocktails and food and you're actually making like this delicious craft cocktail on your quest, which is super fun. So that if you are in the Southern California area, that is at Roguelike Tavern. Then from Mattel, and actually, I, I don't remember, know the dates though, Juliana. Do oh, know when? okay. So uh, <laughs> coming out from Mattel on, I, I think it's September 1st. Yeah, September 1st on Amazon is Escape Room in a Box Time Drifters, uh, which we're so excited about. Uh, so this, again, speaks to we're always looking for new ways to play. So this is, in fact, two different games sold separately, totally playable as complete separate games with their own cool plastic pieces and puzzles. And it's a full puzzling experience. But then... There is a third game that interacts between the two games. So if I have one game and I have played that game and Ariel has the other game and she's played that game, we then get on video chat together and we use information from our boxes and pieces from the other person's box to solve a third completely separate game. So we're very excited about that one. And what, oh, and then also coming out next fall, we have three mystery games coming out from Renegade uh, Games. And these are two next two. fall, we should say. And oh, sorry, then one in early 2022. <laughs> There's three coming out at some point, and it starts <laughs> next fall. Uh, and these are three mystery games where you get to, uh, it's a little bit like the old How to Host the Murders, but with a different mechanic. But it's like them in that. You get to take on a character if you want and dress up and solve a mystery. You also don't have to do that. You can just solve the mystery, but it can be like a full, really fun experience. 
Oh, and those are called crimes and capers. Oh, and also out right now, again, in the Southern California area, at the Santa Monica Pier, which is this gorgeous historical site. So anytime you're visiting LA, you should be going there anyways. But we created an app for them for their historical tour. So it's actually a puzzling app where you learn the history of the Santa Monica Pier by solving puzzles that interact with art that we have put on the pier. And you learn all about the, like, it's such crazy, interesting history. And then you get to take uh, prize photos that are filtered so that you look like you're in that time period that you just learned about. I think, and I think that that's everything that's right now. There's, there is fun stuff coming up that we can't talk about. So there's even more. Um, and oh, then, I think we can oh. say that uh, Vampire Pizza, which came out right at the beginning of the quarantine at vampire.pizza, um, I believe that it will be up and running again in the future. So just check vampire.pizza. You can probably sign up for alerts um, to get more information about that. Yeah. And then unforeseeable future. I mean, we really want the world to come back. I think that there's, you know, there's a bunch of things that got canceled right at the beginning of the pandemic that hopefully we will, you know, that hopefully aren't fully canceled, but we will, you know, hope that will hopefully come back and we'll get to do. And there's, yeah, I think as with everyone, there's been a lot of ideas that have, you know, come up during the pandemic of if this weren't going on, when we get to see people, when we get to be out and about, about again, what could we do that's amazing? What games are you playing currently that you think our listeners should check out? Sure. So we can start. Uh, Roguelike Tavern has uh, something from Shine On Collective called The Spirits of Tilling Guest, and that is actually a puzzle game that comes with a flight of uh, a tasting flight of different whiskeys and mezcals. And it's so, so fun. And then Shine On Collective on their own actually has another puzzle box called Welcome Home. And that is shipping nationally. We played it when it was here in LA and it came with dinner, which was fine. But now shipping nationally, it comes with brownies, which I'm really sad that I missed out on the brownie portion of it. But it's it's a it's a very narrative. They're a theater company, but they do a lot of interactions with different puzzles. And so it's a very narrative-driven experience that is well worth checking out. And you now get brownies. Uh, let's see. I'm, I'm trying to think of the different things. I'm looking right now at the website for 444... Uh, Liberaccio, which is a, um, it's like a puzzling and theatrical experience that is put together by this poet um, named Elizabeth, um, I think it's Stranathon, and it's, it's, um, it, or it's in quotes, it's for deliverance. You, you can find it on the Everything Immersive website, and I'm excited about this one. I, I saw a play that she was part of like a, a, an immersive play that she was part of. And now she's doing this thing with she, you fill out a, um, a questionnaire and she puts together a box which will include puzzles, but it's completely bespoke. It's completely personalized to you. And then I, I don't, no one will fully say anything about it because apparently that's spoilers, but there's some, there's, you get on a video with her and there are interactions and it's like, a puzzle about you or about you becoming even better or something like that. 
Um, it sounds very cool and different and I'm excited about it. And then tonight we actually have plans to play Witchery Spell by Dark oh, Park, yeah, which forgot. we've heard is so good. Oh, nice. You have it literally behind you. That's amazing. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we, we can't wait. We've heard such, such great things about that. Um, oh, and we just play tested the new, um, the second chapter of Frankenstein. Mother um, of Frankenstein. Mother of Frankenstein from the, from Hatch, uh, who does a uh, lab rat in LA. And that was like, it was really fun and people should keep a lookout. Yeah, I think they had a Kickstarter, but I believe that you can still pre-order the game. Um, if you just search mother of frankenstein hatch um because that is yeah they're they're so good you know tommy is a best-selling author so the narrative on that as well is like a very full component of the entire experience but then the, the puzzles are great too as you and know. i i just love that i mean i think you know i think going in you have to know like this is a narrative puzzling experience as opposed to thinking this is an escape room because people going into escape rooms don't really like to read um so in our games, because the escape room in a box series is escape rooms, we often have to just cut so far back on the narrative, much more than we would like. And I am so enjoying these games where we get to where we get to read and listen and have this truly full theatrical experience that includes puzzles. It's, it's a really exciting direction for the industry that I am enjoying immensely. Man, that was I love hearing from them. That was sick, am I right? It's like <laughs> your, your thesaurus of rad words is really coming into place. But You could say it's gnarly to, at the minimum. I feel like if, and I hope this happens one day, but like yeah. this type of genre, like puzzle crafting ever became like a major yeah. at a university, this, these would be like some of my first calls to the professor team that I would want to scoop up. Oh yeah. Like if I'm the dean of that institution, like of course, easy yeah. easy call to see who my professors are going to be. Yeah, I'll be the janitor, don't worry. <laughs> Walking up and down the halls just mumbling about puzzles that you're playing and trying to identify with the younger students by using words like rad and sick. And <laughs> that's wicked. I, that's I know. wicked, you guys. Oh man, I think they'd love you. I think uh, you'd be a beloved Everyone loves me. I know it. You'd it's be okay. a beloved figure on that campus. True. Oh man. Well if you if you want to check out to see what the ladies at the Wild Optimist are doing, wildoptimist.com is their website. You can see everything that they're doing, even mm -hmm. if you want to hit them up, they are really good at responding as well, just with yes. the amount of busyness and projects that they have going on currently. Any, and I believe all of their games that are still in production, you can find on Amazon. I believe so, yes. Uh, be sure to watch out from sales to sign times. You can pick them up a little bit che cheaper, but be sure to check those out. And for us, follow us, man. We we want to we want your input. We'd Please love to hear from me. you. If you want to put our podcast on a regular subscription schedule. Yes, please. That doesn't even cost you anything. What? It's free? That's free. You could do that right now. That's sick. And that would mean the world to us. We're looking forward to having a wider audience and to getting more people involved in these games. That's epic. That's <laughs> Do you, like, is there some type of thesaurus, like, on your phone or something? Are these just popping into your head as we're going? Yes. Yeah, yes. Well, that's going to wrap us up for today. Zach, do you know who we have next week? You know what? I will give you a secret. You'll give me a secret or a hint? You know what? I'll I'll, I'll make it a hint. I think secret, <laughs> secret doesn't make sense in this area. I'm 
sick. <laughs> you know, um, we're gonna ignore what I just said, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna continue with this little bit. It is gonna be a hint. I think the secret is that I'm dumb, uh, but you found that out. So congratulations. It's not a secret anymore. Um, so to give you a few hints about this, one, it might involve some Norse mythology. Oh. Second, it might involve runes. Oh. And third, it might involve of Odin. Oh man. If you add all those together, it's runes of Odin. <laughs> I, I, it really just saddens me that we're going to be reviewing a game about a bad guy. I wish we could do like a good guy, more like Loki. Like that would make me feel a lot better. Wait, what? Yeah. I think you have that mixed up. Have you have you watched none of the Marvel movies about Thor? Like when they started going down like that villainous series to talk about like one of the most corrupt families in all of Norse mythology. Yes. And then Loki, the redemptive character who was cast out, and then we were kind of wa- like, are we not watching the same movie? I think we're watching different movies. Loki is the good guy. Oh, you poor sweet child. <laughs> be sure to check us out next time, as I'm sure this will be an enduring conversation. Yes. 100%. We'll catch you guys next time. This is Puzzling Company. See you guys. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.